Dominic Milton Trott took 157 drugs and wrote a book about it. He did this to help those who take drugs to do so in a safe manner. In this podcast, he talked about his experience of writing the book. He talked about the difference between alcohol and drugs. And also talked about his theory of the government's misinformation war on drugs. We filmed this podcast in order to shed light on how drugs can have a really negative effect on your life. Hopefully, this conversation will help save lives of the 3,000 people who die every year from misusing drugs. If you have a drug problem and need help, please use your contact details in the description and reach out for professional support. Welcome to the podcast, Dominic. Um, You took over 150 drugs over a 10-year period, wrote a book about it. There's quite a lot to unpack there, but let's just start right at the beginning. Why Why did you do this? Um, when I was looking to retire and I ran a business from, from here, uh, I was a bit of a loose end and I, I, I just encountered a, uh, information on a psychedelic visionary drink, um, called ayahuasca, uh, in the Amazon. Uh, and that kind of intrigued me. Uh, and when I researched this a bit more, it became more compelling. Uh, until I decided that yeah, I really should go and try that because the information was that it was perfectly safe. It bestowed different perspectives um, and all the interesting and, and good things that you hear about psychedelics rolled into one in a shamanic setting in a natural environment. So I thought, I'll, I'll go and do that. Uh, and uh, I booked it. I booked the, booked the trip to Peru. Um but um, I didn't really want to go there as a complete psychedelic virgin. Uh, and I thought, well, what I can do is in, in the few months before I, I, I embarked, I would try a few legal psychedelics because this was the UK in something like 2008, 2008, 2010, uh, maybe 2012, anyway, a long time ago. Uh, and Legal highs were legal highs, meaning they were legal. Uh, so I started to research, you know, well, what, what can I actually get hold of to, to try it out so that I, I actually had some idea of what I was letting myself in, uh, in for. Well, I found the, the psychedelics and a lot of other drugs, and I didn't try them, just tried one or two, and I started to get an idea of what was going to happen to me. Vague idea, not, uh, not a particularly good one. Uh, but during that research process, I found forums, dedicated forums to drugs and legal highs. Uh, and they were quite interesting. But I, I noticed um, a feature was that people would occasionally disappear. And it became apparent that they'd, they'd almost invariably made a mistake, an error of some sort. And they, they died, they'd killed themselves. Uh, and it, it also became apparent that you know, there were, some of the mistakes were quite common. Uh, and equally, there was not a lot of information out there to, um, at least that I, was init- I could initially find, that to actually guide people and provide parameters and, and accurate dosage information and onset times and durations and what it's going to do to you. Um, and there was for quite a lot of drugs, but not all of the drugs I was, I was uh, encountering uh, and not in, in a particularly consistent 
or not the sort of manner that I wanted to to read to see it, to read it, to learn it. Uh, I didn't think anything of, of that until I actually went to Peru, had the experience, came back, uh, looked at what I'd been doing the previous few months, uh, what I've been recording, the, the drugs I've taken in a in a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet, uh, and I thought really that would be useful to other people, so that when they used the, the new research chemicals that I've been experimenting with. Uh, they had something that was relatively easy to access and they could uh, they could actually learn the lessons that I learned, the information that I learned through using them and through, through reading and, and searching uh, much more easily than I, I, I did. Um, so, you know, I had the spreadsheet, but at the same time I realised that if I was going to continue to do this, a spreadsheet was going to become an absolute nightmare to use and to access uh, and that's when I had the idea of a, of a book uh, wouldn't it be easy if I could pick a book up I've got this drug whatever it is open the page and there's the safety information all the dosing the contraindications what it's likely to do to you uh, how long it's going to last and everything you really need to try and try and have a, a safer experience to mitigate risk uh, now, I was a bit reluctant because I was a bit, bit scared um, and I knew that if I started doing this for real, uh, the nature of my character was that I would really get into it and I would I would do a decent job. I would actually, no matter what, I would, I would pursue it. Uh, but in the end, I decided to do it uh, and that was the start of the, the journey, really. It was a... As to, to fill a gap that I felt at the time I shouldn't be doing this because government should be doing this, but governments weren't the least bit interested in, in drug users' health, to be absolutely honest. Uh, and I realised that if I was going to, anyone was going to, anyone was going to produce a book or something so easily accessible, uh, it was probably going to have to be me because I wasn't aware of anyone else working like that in this field, and I'm still not. Uh, so that was the start of it, and uh, and it really went from there. Well, that's quite that's quite a story. So, so just to go, so that so just going back to the original point. So when you decided you went to Peru, and then you decided um, that is some it's, uh, you looked at forums and you saw people dropping off, and you said you took on yourself to write a book to help people uh, to understand drugs. I think one of the big, biggest questions when I was reading about your story, uh, what, uh, learning about your story, the first thought that came, came up to my mind was, why would you do this? Why would you dedicate your life risking it uh, to help, well, random people? Um, because I could and because I didn't, I, you know, I didn't need to work. And I realised I was, you know, you know, I wasn't young. I wasn't a young lad who was... You know, had others. I was I was old enough to, to to have the hopefully a bit of wisdom about how I went about the the exercise, um, and I was probably mid late forties at the time, on my forties, and I thought, uh, well, I'm I'm lucky enough to be able to have the time, to have the money, to have and to be able to do this, and to, and and to have the right sort of mental complexion, I think, to 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 do it relatively sternly. To, to mitigate risk. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to be addicted to anything. 
Um, and of course, you know, perhaps arrogantly, I felt that, you know, well, I can, I can do it with minimal risk. Um, I'll actually research and create a, a procedure process, which turned out to be the Ten Commandments of Safer Drug Use. Uh, and I'll rigidly stick to this process so that I don't expose myself to undue risk and end up killing myself. Um, now, that was the plan. And if you've read the book, you'll know that actually I did make quite a few serious errors and I did probably come close to uh, to, to serious problems on, on a number of occasions. Uh, but at the time, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect to to be as error prone as as I turned as it turned out that I would be. Um, so I thought I could do it. I had the means. I had the method. Uh, I had the uh, the motive because you know I actually knew I didn't know these people. Some of them I, I knew them as as internet friends, if you like. I knew the 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 neighbor, the, the, the label, and I'd had conversations with them. They seem decent guys, uh, and uh, you know it's quite distressing when when somebody dies. And I thought, well, that didn't have to happen. I mean, you know, that's happening because he or she um, didn't actually have a process or didn't know, you know, didn't realise what what the implications of a high dose would be, or didn't know what the dose was, or didn't know how long it would last, or whether they would be. Uh, couldn't be, uh, couldn't allow themselves to go in a public space. Uh, so all sorts of things like that. I thought they, they, they were sort of, it was just a lack of, of education, a lack of knowledge and a lack of information. And he, he was I in a position where I believed that I could actually produce that and produce something readable, easy to access, uh, that would at least guide people and mitigate risk to some degree uh, and reduce the prospects of, of another tragedy. Uh, so it was, it was sort of, and I, and I've, I'm, I, you know, I'll be lying if I didn't, did, didn't admit that. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's some attraction to actually uh, trying drugs. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, some some of it I thought oh, that'd be quite fun, you know. But um, I talk, I so talking about talking about that point, really it went another thought that also passed my head was and I think it passed but probably by most people's head was okay this guy took over 150 different types of drugs to help other people <laughs> like you said there's probably, probably quite a lot of attraction to actually taking it, it is to help other people but it's also uh, quite like for yourself because it's quite entertaining yeah. or uh, quite an interesting experience to try all those different drugs uh, how much do you think of it was actually to help other people and how much of it was realistically just a, a lot of fun it was it, it was to help other people primarily because because a lot of the drugs I mean opioids for instance an entire class of drug there I don't know how many are ten fifteen opioids uh, I don't like opioids you know for me uh, I think the main feature of an opioid is it it creates a comfort bubble like a blanket of warmth and you know elevation well. If you, if you, if you, I mean, this is one of the reasons why people who are, are in difficult, difficult circumstances tend to become heroin addicts or fentanyl addicts or what some other opioid, uh, because it, it, it takes the rough edges off life. Now, I didn't really have any particular rough edges. I wasn't living on the streets. I, had, I lived in a, a reasonable house, and I, I, you know, I wasn't in difficult circumstances. 
Consequently, uh, for me, opioids were okay. But after I've taken one or two and I got the gist that, well, that was okay. Uh, that was that was quite nice. That's all it was. It wasn't, oh, that was wonderful. I'd love to do another. I can't wait for the next opioid to come along. Yet I had to do them. You know, I had to go, well, you know, once I started the book, I had to go through uh, all these experiences, uh, even the ones that I take deliriums. Um, I had nutmeg years and years ago, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. It was absolute turmoil, trauma, you name it. I was delirious, and delirious is not good. Delirium is not where you want to be. Uh, yeah, there was this seed called datura, this plant, which is well known and people take it too often. Uh, and I knew I had to, you know, do this thing. Uh, even it all be a small dose, but still I had to do something that I, I really didn't want to be doing. So, you know, the, the, the project, you know, I've started this, I must finish this uh, because it's going to make a difference in my opinion. Uh, was a, was a, the main driver. Uh, but I mean, said all that, yes. Um, trying out the latest sexy stimulant um, or psychedelic or, or class of drug that I'm quite partial to uh, was something, yeah, oh, God, that's arriving or I'm going there to try that. Quite looking forward to that. Yeah, there were parts of the journey that were were pleasant and I enjoyed immensely uh, but there were parts of it which were nightmarish and there were huge parts of it that I just really didn't want to do but I had to do uh, almost as a job because I couldn't complete the book without doing them. This podcast is sponsored by Iceberg. Iceberg is an SEO company unlike any other. Most SEO companies tie you into a six months highly priced contract but Iceberg is different. Iceberg has no contract, has amazing customer service. You can contact them anytime, any day, and they'll be there for you. They actually get results, and they don't charge a ridiculous amount. In fact, they'll be any genuine quote you get by 20%. So, if you want to increase website visibility and Google rankings to generate more inquiries, get in touch with Iceberg now. Contact them with the link in the description. How, when you're taking all these drugs... How do you yeah. make sure that you're doing it in a way that is most effective? Um, because obviously you're there. I mean, how I imagine it is you're there. I'm not sure if you're alone or you're with someone else. But all of these things obviously make a difference to the how the drug affects you, what's going to happen. There's a bunch of other con con control groups that I imagine also have a massive effect on how the drug will affect you and how much yeah. you need to take. So how did you make sure that you took the drug in an efficient way that you could test how it affects you regardless of what situation you were in? That's mainly psychedelics. Set and setting is called. Uh, for psychedelics, the, it, the, your circumstance and, and, and uh, how, you, how you're mentally prepared and where you are makes all the difference in the world to what sort of experience you're going to have. Um, and I understood that. And, uh, and uh, obviously I researched with each psychedelic and, and uh, tried to make sure I was in the most 
uh, suitable setting for the experience uh, for the for the drug I was uh, about to experiment with. Sometimes I got it badly wrong. I mean, even something like cannabis, um, you can get badly wrong. Uh, I mean, I must have had a, a lot of cannabis in my in my life, uh, but there was there's a, a a drink called Banglasi, which is hash hashish, and it's it's in India. And uh, it's like a yogurt drink with with hash mixed into it, and you, you drink it. Uh, and of course, it's fairly well known that uh, oral cannabis can be a lot more potent than smoking cannabis. Uh, so I went to India. I had it in Varanasi, uh, which is the sort of cannabis uh, capital of of of, uh, of India, by the banks of the Ganges, and. I went to one of these three famous dispensaries. Uh, there's the blue, the blue lassie shop, the green lassie shop, and those are the lassie shop that I can't pronounce. Uh, I went to the green lassie shop and I, I so the special lassie please, bang lassie. And the guy gave me it and I sort of drank it. And I thought, mm, okay. Started walking down the road and um, it was, at the start it was, bit typical cannabis like you know I was quite relaxed and oh this is quite nice and then it started getting the better of me um I started getting a little bit of anxiety and every every thought started to have a sinister edge to it and it was hot and it was a Indian city and it was buzzing with people and a bit of a panic thinking no got to get out of here i can't i can't stand this um so i had this great idea of i'll go down to the river the river ganges so i find a back alley and i'm down the river i'll just go and sit down by the river i'll be okay we're perfectly okay get down to the river and uh there's a traditional indian ceremony in which the burning hindu ceremony and the burning bodies um and uh so i'll sit down and watch this this is a great experience and of course, it doesn't take too long before the cannabis is coming into my head again, and it's getting pretty gruesome because there's there's blood on the head and it's a body, uh, and I'm back into oh god, you know, you <laughs> get me out of here. So then I get a tuk tuk. I've got I've got to go back to the hotel, and a tuk tuk in an Indian road, and you're weaving in and out, and it's it's like a terrifying Big Dipper, uh, and that went on forever, and my mouth's dry by this point. Uh, and eventually it seemed like a week to get, you know, it's 45 minute tuk-tuk ride. Uh, it was absolute hell and I just got back. So even cannabis, you know, set and setting are, can be really important. And that was an example of, of you know, overconfidence, arrogance, complacency, and not properly thinking about the research that I'd done that, you know, I'm, you know, a, lot, if, a, a really high dose of cannabis can cause anxiety if it's not the right strain for you. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just an example of how, you know, that the proper research is essential with psychedelics, actually with cannabis. Not so much for stimulants and, and uh, benzos and sedatives, you know, the setting isn't going to be that. You know, there are obviously situations, social situations, where you don't want to be high as a kite, but in terms of what you're going to experience, not so much, but psychedelics and perhaps cannabis, you, need, you do need to be well aware of the situation. And I just tried to manage it as best I could. Uh, not always successful, though. 
I mean, you mentioned there sort of an error that you came across, and you mentioned a few minutes that you made quite a few er errors, some almost leading to death. What were those errors and how close to death do you think you came? Um, It's difficult to to say how close to death I came. Uh, I mean, the first error I made was before I was doing the book and I read Nutmeg Could Get You High. Um, And I thought that was a good idea when I was 21. So I wanted to be high. Uh, and uh, I made nutmeg tea, uh, and uh, it was absolutely traumatic. Uh, I remember I had it about eight o'clock on a Friday night. I'm going to have a good Friday. Nothing happened, and by ten o'clock, eleven, I thought I'd go to bed. Then I woke up at about middle of the night, don't know what time it was, needed to go to the loo, uh, and everything was like a sort of... The sort of hallucinogenic vision you get from television, it lights, everything's bright, everything's moving around, but my head's spinning, I'm in pain, my head's hurting, my ears are buzzing, and I can't stand up. So I'm sort of crawling to the toilet with my hands seem to be stinking into the floor like glue at the same time of spinning around, feeling physically sick. And it and it was just I felt just so ill and 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 I crawled back I couldn't go to the loo uh, for some reason it wouldn't wouldn't function so I got back into bed and, and the next morning I was still ill I was off work for a week uh, you know that was the first bad experience and that put me off the whole idea of of, of any intoxicant for, for a generation uh, horrible. Uh, writing the book, I made, you know, complacency is a, is a real danger uh, because, you know, I'm Dominic Milne's writing and by this time I've got 100 drugs. You know, I know what I'm doing. Well, it comes and bites you. You don't. I don't. You've just rigidly got to force yourself mentally. You know, I've got to follow, follow these Ten Commandments that you've written yourself. Just, just, just do it. Because if you shortcut it, you're going to make the sort of errors I did. And it was usually overdosing and I'd pregabalin. I had an experience which was absolute. That's a, that's a prescription medicine. Somehow I, I, I had 600 milligrams of it and, and it was way too much. And I just felt sick. And some of them, it's a bit like the cannabis one. It, it's just, you just think, oh, I mean, that was, oh, it's illegal, so it can't be problematic. Now, I know that's nonsense. Legality has absolutely nothing to do with how harmful a, a, a drug is. Nothing at all to do with it. But you still get this sense of it's a prescription drug, so it'll be okay. Well, no. Uh, another one like that was this this, this type of this type of uh, tobacco plant called Nicotina Rustica. Um, and I got it. I imported it from Brazil. And I, the first time I had it, I smoked it here, and it was like, like sort of putting me mouth to a, a an exhaust pipe on a on a car. It felt that artificial, and I breathed it in, and I was just immediately, I had to go and lie in bed. I just felt like I was I was ill, and I had it again in Vietnam. There was there was guys sitting there, and this is tolerance is a thing, in groups in Vietnam, talking on these these bamboo pipes. And of course, I had this idea that it was this similar or the same form of tobacco. So uh, I went and asked, uh, oh, can I have a talk on the bong? I'll, I'll pay you, you know, whatever. It, you know, it won't take any money. 
and they insisted I sit down. So I sat down and I had a talk on their bong and immediately the same sort of thing. I felt like I was going to pass out. Uh, a lot of people do, if, you know, and I don't smoke, so I have no no uh, tolerance to tobacco or nicotine whatsoever. Um, and that felt like I was... It took about half an hour for me to actually get on my feet again and and, and okay. Um, another bad experience was an artificial cannabinoid, a, a variant of spice. Spice is a brand, by the way. It's not a drug. Uh, spice is... Uh, and in Manchester, where I, I started uh, I started this journey, at Dr Herman's, a head shop in the middle of Manchester, behind Athletics Palace. Um, they used to sell cannabinoids which are sort of synthetic cannabis and the first iteration of that was JWH018 which is a chemical and uh, they put it in a silver packet and called it a golden packet I think it was and called it spice and of course all different chemicals of the same type became generically called spice which they're not spice spice is just a brand name but uh, JWH018 was was okay it wasn't like like cannabis but it was similar ilk it felt artificial and didn't feel like it was doing yet too much good but it was it was it was nice enough that got made illegal and this is what tends to happen so the chemist came up with this replacement chemical with an extra stick on it molecule uh, slightly different a bit stronger a bit further removed from cannabis uh and of course that was People use that. I tried it. Then the next, that got made illegal. So the next generation was stronger still and further, until you get to a stage where you get people stood unconscious in, in the, we've seen the pictures from uh, major cities, from Philadelphia, from Manchester even, uh, of, of zombies in the street. And, and what that tended to be was a, a fifth generation of this art, original artificial cannabinoid called JWH018, Spice. Um, and uh, obviously I had to try this stuff and uh, because of the earlier generations, I, it took me a bit by surprise to say the least and you're suddenly paranoid, terrified. I have to go down and go up to bed and lie there in a sort of fetal position, think, waiting for it to end. And, you know, that's, it sort of strikes you again how important the book is going to be because... You know, by that time I was pretty experienced. I knew this was going to end. I had a broad idea of how long it was going to take to get to the end of it, the nightmare. Uh, so I was able to sort of hang on in there until I came out of it and I was okay again. I just imagine some kid who who tried it for the first time, who wasn't experienced, who suddenly found himself in the same place that I was in, not knowing if it would ever be the same again. Uh you know that that must be a hundred times worse than the the nightmare that I endured on that particular occasion. Um, so there was a there was a series of mistakes made, um, and fewer and fewer mistakes as a, as I went through the journey. You know, to be fair, I did learn from from my own experiences uh, and my own my own work, uh, but certainly in the in the first half of the the book, uh, not literally spread in different classes, but the first half of the the the, the twelve years it took to write it, um, I tended to make quite a lot of mistakes, and uh, some of which I felt were at the time 
you know, have I really done it this time? And that's not really where you want to be. Not, not at all. I mean, if you, I'm just wondering. I mean, I keep coming back to this question about why. But if you, if you say so, there was quite a few times, especially in the first, the first six years of you when you wrote the book, that that yeah. you kept thinking that this mistake was too big. This mistake was too big. Um, and you had a family. You, I mean, you still have a family. Um, and is it is it is it not so, like do you not weigh it up and say, Kim, what happens if anything happens to me? What ha- how am I, how am I, uh, just like you know, you need to be there for your family. Or, I don't know. It's just it, it's just so bizarre to my mind that uh, to spend that long when you when it's so life risking. Like, well, I, I, you, you, I tend to tend to. Tend, I think this could be reasonably normal to think. Well, I've learned from that. that <laughs> what do you call that? Almost yeah. a bit foolish. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I did learn from it. I, I mean, and the, I, it wasn't really the same mistake I made. You're being very diplomatic. Sorry, you're being very diplomatic here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I never felt like what, whatever the drug was, even the drugs that society had. It uh, frightened me with like heroin, you know. Yeah. But you know, I was nervous, but I, I, I felt, you know, well, everything they've told me about drugs so far has been a lie. You know, heroin, cannabis is a, a gateway drug. Once you take cannabis, that's it. You, you know, and you've had this thrown through generations, and, and the the messaging has become more sophisticated and elaborate. The war on drugs messaging, but it's still fundamentally lies. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean by that? The, the the message they told you was a lie about the drugs. Well, if you look, if you look at the uh, the earlier uh, manifestations of before the war on drugs, a propaganda, it was so crude um, in terms of its delivery. Uh, you know, I've got I think I've got in the book some pictures of old movie posters, and they're just totally ridiculous. You know, like the devil's weed, and you're going to die, and and. You, you know that you're going to do this, and, and and it's just complete rubbish. It's just not true. Um, uh, you know, and then you get various falsehoods. Oh, you take heroin once and you're addicted. Well, that's a lie. Um, that's um, a very common one. I'm sorry. That's a very common uh, thing that goes around. That yeah, it's a common one. And LSD splits your chromosomes. That's a lie. You know. Um, so you've had a series of of, of myths. Uh, a series of lies pushed by the media and by governments. Uh, so I knew when I had heroin that, although I still had this background fear, um, that oh god, it's heroin. Uh, uh, my my brain was telling me, you know, hang on a minute, it's, it, you know, it's all lies. This is the dose. This is uh, this is how long it lasts. Uh, you are not going to be addicted after a single. A single experience, um, and if you stick to this, you'll be perfectly okay. Um, and in some cases, crystal meth. You know, I, I went above and beyond. Well, this is a, a hugely addictive substance, which it is. Um, but uh, you know, I, I have it on the one occasion. I'm not going to end up with my teeth rotting, spots all over my face, uh, and completely out of my tree all the time. I'm going to have it once, and uh, I learned that. You know, once you start taking crystal meth, it's it's really strong compulsive redosing, which means you can't stop taking it until you've you've used it all up. So one of the things I've got in the book, of course, to help people is only have available what you're prepared to take. 
You know, I had 100 milligrams of uh, methamphetamine, which is crystal meth, uh, which I bought. Um, and I knew it was really good quality, and it looks like it looks like the stuff on Breaking Bad. You know, it really, really was good. Uh, and I made sure I didn't have it while I had proximity to the guy I got it from, so that that was all I could have. Couldn't have any more, uh, and that was a good job because <laughs> because I I would have carried on having that because it was so good. Um, the experience. However, one of the uh, on, in the uh, first section, I've got this 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 segment called "What Goes Up Must Come Down," and what it tries to explain. And this doesn't apply to psychedelics, but the other drugs is uh, you always pay back what you've taken. So you think about alcohol, which most people have had. You you may and think you you only see this high bit where you're actually getting the pleasant effects, the euphoria. And then you're going to come down, and you, the, there's the bar where you start, and then you're going to go under it. So, is it if, day, so if you have a nicer, so if you have a nicer feeling with a drug, is always much a, is there always as much of a strong feeling coming down? So the nicer it is, the stronger it's after. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a bad time afterwards. And yeah. in the case of crystal meth, you have such a high height. There's a long way down. Now it's a different the different shapes. I mean, with with alcohol, it's fairly steep. You go up there, and then you come down. You, the next day, if you if you're being sick and you're ill, you know how horrible it is. So you're going down quite deep below the below base, and then you come back during that day, and maybe you're not quite reached it. The next day, mm -hmm, a couple yeah. of days, you you're back to baseline. Crystal meth isn't like that. Uh, you go so high. Next day, you feel rough, but you don't feel as bad as you do on an alcohol hangover. But it lags for a long, long time, weeks. You know, seriously, and you're depressed. Because your dopamine serotonin isn't recovering and to a sufficient stable level, uh, and if you've had meth for, uh, you know, this is why it's so difficult to get off that stuff, uh, off off crystal meth, what meth once you've once you've used it for a while, uh, and and it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest, to actually escape from. Uh, but I knew all this, as so I thought, okay, right, one experience, have a good, I mean, I always aimed for a quite a, a significant dose, uh, because I thought, if I'm going to write about a drug, I don't want to be just threshold and think, well, it sort of started feeling quite nice, I want a proper, you know, I don't want the equivalent of half a pint or a pint of beer, I, I want the six pints, you know, I want, you know, I want to know really what it is it's all about. So I always aimed at a pretty significant, so I got the proper experience. I did the same with crystal meth, but I did make sure that after the 100 milligrams, I couldn't actually get any more. And I had to stop. Because I don't know, I don't know any drug you know, vendors. I just don't know any. So I have to go away and find them. And go, that's why I did so much travel. 31 countries I travelled to for the writing of that thing. Uh, so I... You know, I knew I couldn't get any more, and I, uh, and it was a good job because I would have, I would have carried on. But I, I never felt, you know, when I was before I was having even that heroin or crystal or any of the other drugs, I never felt when I was about to embark on it that I was, I was placing myself in, in in any significant danger because I, I felt 
<laughs> I'd done the research, I knew the dose, I knew what was gonna what was coming. I'd taken all these steps to ensure that that I wasn't gonna do anything particularly stupid. Uh and by and large it was fine, but there were too many occasions earlier on where uh I made mistakes and hopefully I learned from them. Now now that it's been a few years since you wrote the book, do you still currently take any drugs? Yeah. Um uh, not here. Um I still travel, um, and I, I don't seek out, and obviously not heroin or crystal meth, or or in, any really, you know, potentially addictive stuff. I, I like psychedelics. I, I take LSD occasionally when I'm on my expeditions. Uh, I like cannabis. I go to Amsterdam a, a bit, Bangkok, Thailand. It's legal, India. Um, and uh, if the circumstance presents itself, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like saying to the guy up the street, do you still drink, sir? Well, he probably says yes. Uh, and I have this, this, you know, one of the one of my uh, one of the things that grind my gears is is people who drink alcohol or regularly get drunk uh, trying to, you know. You know, assuming that this, I'm the odd one. You know, they're, they're having this really strong drug regularly, uh, consuming it in 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 significant doses, um, and I'm not. I, I seldom drink because it's 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 okay, but it's not a particularly compelling drug, and and the the uh, the aftermath is brutal. And I can do without that. Uh, I'm just more. I like to think I'm more sophisticated in my choice of of intoxicant. So, uh, and I'll know enough about drugs to be able to be selective about the sort of experience I want. And if I'm going to choose between an LSD experience and an alcohol experience, I know damn well which one I'm going to go for. And it's it's not the alcohol. Is alcohol worse than drugs? Well, alcohol is one of the most uh, toxic and addictive drugs. Um, and that's a fact. Uh, if you look at the uh, medical data and the data that's been produced by, you know, by science, uh, it's right up there with with heroin uh, in terms of deaths, addictive potential, uh, all the bad stuff that uh, is synonymous with 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 hard drugs, and they're in alcohol every single time. And yet, it's mo- the most normalised. It's normalised. It's uh, it's available on every corner, uh, and it's just complete hypocrisy, and it's it's complete corruption by by politicians and and by the media who write about drugs who who don't seem capable of telling the truth. So let me ask you about that because I, I find that very interesting. Um, mm. You mentioned now and you mentioned before about this war on drugs uh, by the government, by the media. What exactly do you mean by that? Why it, you, you mentioned that they're telling us, they're not telling us the truth about drugs or about alcohol. No. Why is that? Uh, what effect would that have and why would they do that? I think there's a myriad of causes. Um, I think the war on drugs itself was actually, I don't think the war on drugs was started uh, for political reasons. I know it was because uh, it's uh, the chief of staff of the Nixon administration came out and and admitted it on CNN. That well, it I mean, we're in the UK, not in America. 
Well, we do what the Americans say, in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> they started the war on drugs. Uh, <laughs> and we followed like the little lapdog and poodles that we are. Um, and he, he started the war on drugs because it was an easy way to marginalise black people and to take on the anti-Vietnam, what he called the hippie movement, by uh, illegalising LSD and psychedelics. And that's openly admitted, and it's on record. Uh, so that's why the war on drugs started. So it started off from that, from from there, as, yeah. a, as a political tool. Uh, and then, of course, when once the media starts the bandwagon rolling with the bogeyman, and uh, and you know the the way to a cheap headline for the Tory party in the Daily Mail is to be hard on drugs. Uh, don't legalize cannabis, for goodness' sake! It's such a terrible thing, and. You know, and the old braver man who's our current Home Secretary has to do is say something like that. She's guaranteed positive headlines across the, the Murdoch press and the, 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 uh, the media in this country. Yeah, and on uh, the Conservative but, papers, but yeah. Um, but they're, like, they banned, le- they, they want to ban, or they have banned uh, laughing gas. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's just totally uh, ludicrous. I mean, what are they doing there? They're not going to prevent people using it you know, prevent some people using it it's still going to be readily available and it's just going to be hidden anything driven underground like that is it becomes more dangerous i mean the biggest risk probably for opioid users is is contamination with fentanyl i mean that's not a radical thing to say that's the, that's the truth look at america uh and that's because it's not regulated the supply isn't regulated uh and you don't know what you're buying and uh, you know what prohibition always leads to is more dangerous drugs. The, I mentioned earlier the story of uh, these synthetic cannabinoids, which only existed because cannabis was was prohibited. They wouldn't have even existed. Nobody would have taken them. All these people who are dead now, who you, who died of of these fifth generation spice variants, JWH variants, uh, are dead because cannabis was illegal. Cannabis never killed anybody. It's not toxic. Uh, the same applies to same applies with alcohol. You started. You, they made prohibition in the twenties led to uh, all sorts of concoctions being brewed up, which were were toxic and, and killing people. Fentanyl exists because heroin's illegal. You know, heroin exists because morphine's illegal. So you know, because you can actually, it's much much strong. Fentanyl is so strong in terms of per per microgram or per gram. That you can smuggle in, you know, a thousand doses in, well, a hundred doses in the same space as a single dose of heroin, approximately. So, you know, it's it's more cost effective for for the producers of these drugs to produce the strongest, more bang for your buck, uh, get that on the market, and of course, it's consequently far more dangerous for the consumer. So, prohibition drives toxicity and death so what because you, so it what drives you, unregulated products underground so would you um, regulate all drugs yes all of them yes oh wow yes you know because you i mean what could be worse than the situation we've got now you know the, the war on drugs isn't stopping people dying it's causing death people are dying uh 
a lot, well, a lot of the time because they're having to surreptitiously take the drugs. They're having to buy the, the drugs from shady sources who are contaminating it. Uh, they don't know what they're doing because education isn't the, the, the foremost primary goal of the government. It's left to people like me, uh, just a guy on the street, really, uh, to try and educate people and, and explain, you know, what, you know, what, what, what the doses are. How long it takes to, you know, one way people kill themselves regularly is they'll take a drug, it's not taking effect on 10 minutes, so they'll have another dose and they're dead, you know. And, and you know, education, education, education. And the, the reason it's, it's, there isn't sufficient education is because of prohibition, because of the war on drugs. Yeah, I mean, uh, so some would say that that is a quite radical thing to say. Well, it's. I mean, the truth can be radical in society that's profoundly sick. Um, like that, you know. That's just how it is. I'm. I'm here telling, you know, that the the truth. The truth about drugs is in the book. The doses, the accurate information, uh, and what the what it's going to do to you is actually in that book. And I said at the start, it's not me who should have written that book. That's that book should have been produced by the government, and it should be provided pretty much free of charge on the national health service. For people who were choosing to use drugs, because uh, prohibition, prohibition doesn't stop people using drugs; it just makes supply uh, dodgy, uh, and it makes them take uh, risks, and it de deprives them of, uh, of the knowledge they need. Have a lot of people come up to you and said, "This uh, book that you, this guy that you've given has saved their lives uh, several times, or it's really helped them." Yeah. Not come up to me because I'm sort of hidden away in a, a normal house, uh, but I get a lot of messages to that effect. Yeah. Well, wow. that's really cool. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying about about the drugs, uh, about about prohibition. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, even just to start the, the weed part, I mean, if you just to start on a basic level, which most people would understand, compare weed to alcohol. Which is much worse? Alcohol is much worse. I think it's over a hundred times worse. Yeah, yeah. Weed. Well, it's much worse. I mean, it, 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 no one ever died of weed. No one ever died of LSD. It's uh, the net number of deaths in the whole of history from an overdose of LSD is zero. Uh, now you know. Yeah, it's illegal, and you've got uh, and it's non-addictive. You take LSD today. Take a, a, a normal dose, one hundred and fifty milligrams of LSD. Take it again tomorrow, and then take it again the third day, and it's pretty much no effects on the third day. So you you cannot, you know, you you, you cannot be be a full time LSD uh, addict because you'd be, it just doesn't work like that. Yet it's illegal, and yet you have alcohol, and you know, there it is. You want to kill yourself? Have a have a couple of bottles of scotch. And you're going to have serious problems, especially if you don't drink like that. I, I do drink, but not very often. So I've got zero tolerance to alcohol. I'm a lightweight. Yeah. And and that's society. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, you know, it didn't take me long to understand that everything that I've been told about drugs uh, by governments and the media, pretty much everything was, a, was an absolute fallacy and a lie. Uh, and that was going to have to learn it for myself, uh, learn the science, research the science, produce the science uh, in, in, in the book and, uh, and go from there. 
you're you're saying that uh, that the that the government and the media are lying to us by put by what they're putting out there. Wouldn't yeah. it? I mean, if you're looking down that route about the, um, about that route that that they would do that on purpose um, and they would lie to us on purpose, wouldn't you think it would be better if uh, if they would actually legalize stuff so that drug companies will be able to sell more? Uh. Well, it would be, but you and I, you have you have vested interests. You have, you know, have a look at who the uh, the alcohol companies are are sponsoring and uh, and what politicians they're they're lobbying with money and and uh, you know you soon work out. You know, you look to the United States when the, when there's a cannabis legalization on the ballot. Look what look what the uh, the breweries and the the uh, manufacturers of alcohol do they don't sit by they, they campaign against it because they're frightened of their intoxic and their market being stolen by people smoking cannabis instead um and uh you know in this country we we're, we've been uh, stuck with a, a tory government for god knows how long you know years, conservative yeah. means you know keep things as they not just as they are but as they were 50 years ago um, so that's the sort of mentality, and the, the the media is all set up in this country to to support that perspective and to support that party, by and large. Um, so unfortunately, it's 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 it is a war, and uh, the you know the 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 consumers of drugs that are casualties are just you know just a casualty of war for them. They don't really, they don't, I don't think they set out to kill them, but they just don't care. They have so little empathy with with, with drug users um, that it's virtually non-existent. You know, if they cared about drug users, they'd actually, you know, set up treatment centres, have, have uh, you know, like the Scots are trying to do at the moment, and have places where people can inject safely with clean needles and basic stuff, you know, absolutely fundamental uh, stuff that is you, you just do for a fellow human being, and they're totally opposed to it. Uh, and it's just, you know, and, and one of the things that I, I try and do in the book is, as well, is sort of counter what they're doing. I mean, the journalism, appalling. I have a, at the back, the, the final section is the sort of worldscape, which is which addresses, okay, you're taking drugs in the real world, so there's legal information there. What happens if you get arrested is what you should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, and there's there's stuff on on the war on drugs and on the media, and I've got a couple of pages there on uh, a code of ethics for for reporting for honest drug reporting. And the idea was that if you're a journalist and you're not and you're actually worthy of the title of a journalist, which hardly any of them are, but if you're a journalist and you really want to be a journalist, take these. I think there's ten of them, might be eight. Uh, take these. And have a look at these and the bits of stuff like don't load your language. You don't you don't call people drug pusher. You won't call a barman a drug pusher or a bar. You know, you'd you'd, uh, you'd call them a vendor or a, a, a bar bar staff or staff. You know why why nobody's pushing drugs. You know, not forcing anyone. That's just a, another myth. You know, they're not pushing and forcing, and you know, like a, a sort of evil guy outside the, uh, the school gates. That's just just bullshit. Um, so don't use terms like you know. Think about your terminology and stop loading it. Um, 
stuff like um you know the police will say oh we've uh hundred thousand pounds worth of a cannabis bust you know and you sort of think oh, but wow you know they've they're doing a really good job so it's in their interest to inflate the value and you're thinking well you know it's 10 plants 10 plants where are you getting that valuation from yet yeah, journalists just report it as fact you know hundred thousand drug bust and it's just lies you know the police are totally inflating the cost on a regular basis, not occasional, uh, the value of the, uh, the 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 psychoactive drugs they're seizing, and the media just just totally run run with it. So and in, that, in, that, in that case, you can't really blame the media. You've got to blame the police then. Well, no, the media should 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 actually qualify the the you know a have a clue what you're reporting on. If you're reporting on drugs, have a clue about drugs. Uh, but assuming you you haven't, then say the police state that uh, the value is whatever it is, rather than a factual uh, story on a on a on a lie, uh, you know and that, that's uh, you know regular, but a whole series of things like that, just common sense that you'd expect a journalist to do on any story, you know, don't suspend good journalism and logic just because it's a drug story. You know, just adopt ethics and report ethically on on drugs, rather than going along with this propagandistic narrative that you're. You know, it's okay not to report the narrative. Report the facts. That's your job. Not to, your job isn't to support a narrative and just go with the flow and no drug dealers. Uh, it's this this size of of uh, of raid and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just, it's just. So they're perpetuating it just as much as the government are because they're not actually uh, doing journalism. Talking, talking about that, I think I, I read online um, that when you released the book and you tried to advertise it, and you got the media didn't give you the best reaction. And what, what exactly happened then? Like advert, adverts got shut down. Yeah, uh, I still do. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a sort of trigger, and the trigger is the word drug. Uh, I uh, I lost the Instagram Instagram account, the first Instagram account, and I, I wasn't, you know, the, you know, don't, don't get this wrong. It's, it shouldn't be misrepresented. I'm not promoting drugs, and the book isn't promoting drugs. What the book is doing is is providing information to our people who use drugs to take them more safely. Uh, so when I produce something online on on a platform. That's all it's saying, but you know they they don't actually take take the care. They being your Facebooks and even Reddit don't take the care to actually read what's being said in the words. You know what are those words saying? They'll see a picture of a drug uh, or some drug related situation, and they'll see a load of words which aren't saying what they want it to say because they've been programmed by society to want it to say drugs are bad drug users are bad drug drug people who sell drugs are even badder if it's not saying that they will see they will just see words drugs picture right click ban this guy delete the post and that's that's exactly what happens um and and of course as you 
probably appreciate you trying to peel something with any major social media company. You try and find a human being to to actually have a conversation with to explain what this post was and what this count is doing, and it's impossible. You just they just don't you just don't get this opportunity to to converse with them. Uh, so yeah, it it can't be um, advertised on Twitter. Can't be advertised on Reddit. Uh, uh, Facebook, uh, Zuckerberg uh, removed the Instagram account, the first one. Uh, Facebook restricted the Facebook account for the book. Uh, it just goes on and on, on and on and on. Um, and it's just totally, you know, you, you know you're fighting a war at that point because this is what happens in a in a regime that's at war. They don't, they're not open to to discuss, you know, whatever the issue is. Uh, and these major corporations uh, are not open at all. They they just shoot before they, they they actually bother to to actually investigate. What do you say? Uh, because you mentioned about this case that people people uh, there's media or other people say that if you talk about it, you're bringing people into drugs. Uh, mm. But that what they would say, and they might even have a credible argument. I'd love to hear what you think of this. Um, is that when you talk about this, you're telling people who might have might have never heard about this, might have never, not might never heard about it, but never really looked into it, you're facilitating that conversation so they're now able to learn more about it and then maybe take a step into the into the world of drugs. What do you respond to when people say that to you? Well, with respect to the book, people aren't going to find this unless they're looking. You know, when you advertise on a social media platform, you target your audience. So, you know, I... We was a guy who was doing the, the the adverts. He targeted specific words, that, so we knew that the, these guys were searching for drugs. Yeah, on Facebook yeah. and other platforms, you can specifically target. But at the same time, yeah. realistically, it's still going to go to people outside that. Although the majority of it, well, it is, uh, but so does alcohol. And again, we're back to the situation where if you're if you're openly advertising alcohol and making it look cool in in media, television, entertainment, uh, and that's one of the strongest drugs going, uh, wouldn't it be better to actually tell them that cannabis exists or uh, MDAI exists or, uh, you know, 90-odd percent of drugs which are less harmful than uh, than alcohol exist? So if you're actually really concerned about the public's health and safety, uh, actually uh, presenting them with choice a choice other than alcohol and nicotine that is less dangerous than either of the two, you're doing a favour for public health. You're not damaging it. But realistically, alcohol is restricted quite a lot, if you're looking at it on both sides. It's restricted a lot on places and where it can advertise. It's not allowed to advertise on TV. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's... You, 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 no matter how young you are, you're going to find it hard to avoid alcohol either either its actual presence or something that's that's promoting it in a scene inadvertently or somewhere yeah it's ubiquitous to the to the culture and and uh you know so it's there's no escape in it and if there was and if or if there was competition from a, le- a less toxic and addictive drug on balance that would be better for society yeah well, that makes sense um just just going back to your uh, experiences with the drugs 
I mean, we mentioned mm. uh, before they took over 150 drugs, which are a lot of drugs, and you gave some... 180. People, 180. Uh, oh, wow. Okay, even more. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a lot of drugs. You gave some experience. What's really the one thing you learned out of spending 12 years on taking 182 drugs? It's like the biggest thing. Uh, I think I think I learned that drugs can be... Well, well, I knew that drugs can be enormously dangerous because that's why I started writing the book. I also learned that drugs can be beneficial. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sort of edging towards psychedelics when I say that. Uh, because the, the psychedelics changed my persona to some degree um, because of what they do. Uh, and one of the things they do is they give you different perspectives. They make you more mature and wiser uh, and more discerning in, in terms of what information you're absorbing and taking on from from your sensory organs, from the information you're provided with. Um, so that was definitely there, that uh, some drugs can actually be usually beneficial to your mental health, your safety, and the way that you conduct yourself uh, and improving you as a person. Um, I learned that uh, society is totally, absolutely corrupt uh, and, and we are all lied to all the time about drugs. And therefore, you start to question about uh, other issues as well. Uh, how does this actually work? And you start to look more at the mechanics of, of how is this working? How did it work? How, do we, how are we in a situation where these people uh have uh have got control of the media they have got control of the media because i can't you know this work is completely censored by the media um you know so, so you think well how's this situation how does it work how does it run um what is the process um and and therefore what is the process for every other issue uh that they want to influence the public's uh opinion on and behaviour on, um, so I think it makes you know drugs made the writer of the book made me think a lot more about rather than just being living in the narrative and being influenced and controlled by what was coming at me. I was able to to, to take a, a different higher perspective. Part of it's age because you get more philosophical when you get old, like like what I am. Uh, but I think a lot of it is is the different drug experiences of sort of especially the psychedelics have changed the way I see everything and the way I conduct myself in a positive way yeah do you have any Amazing. questions no I think that's great sorry I think that's great thank you so much for coming on oh good no problem at all I hope it I hope it was interesting. I think so too. No, it was very interesting talking about the uh, the war on drugs or these d different points as well as actually talking about your personal experiences. And uh, I actually agree with you that we do need to, I'm not sure, I'm not not that we need to be open about all drugs, but at least we need to be open and, and somewhat edu educate people instead of just restricting everything. Because if you do, then it can become so much more dangerous. Uh, so there has to, we have to strike a balance, and where we are right now is definitely not a degree of the establishment. I think the start point is simple. Just start telling the truth about drugs, about everything, but particularly drugs. Just start telling the truth and, and stop hiding it, and that will do everybody a favour.
Easier said than, than done. Yeah, true. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. No problem at all. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. You.